Welcome to After Hours at the Radio Book Club, which is a podcast and a collaboration between KGNU Community Radio and the Boulder Bookstore. I'm Maeve Conran with KGNU, as always, my co-host, Arsene Kashkashian of the Boulder Bookstore. We're live at the bookstore, delighted to be here with an audience and our author for uh, our book and discussion. Alexandra Kleeman is here joining us discussing something new under the sun. So if you did not listen to the radio broadcast version of the podcast, go back and listen to that. We talk a lot more about the book. In this segment, we're going to actually open it up to the audience and we have invited audience members to ask Alexandra a question. So we have them here. Uh, Arson and I will read them out. Arson, why don't you go first? So Alexandra, do you think you're done with writing about the climate in fiction? Wow, that's a really great question. <laughs> um, uh, you know, um, I think it's gotten hard to write about the present um, or the future without writing about climate change. So I think that I'm not done. My next project um, has to do with islands. And islands are one of these like very sensitive pressure points for climate change. So I think that um, I'll be writing about it in a different form. And the symptoms will look different. But I don't think that, um, I think this is my my literary future to write about climate change in very different strains. <laughs> well, it's getting hard not to put the climate in. You know, don't yes. you think? Like, if you read a novel, you know, especially a, an ambitious literary novel, and they don't tackle the climate, it, it, it's going to be there somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, it stands out. Or, or, or think about, like, um, usually we use um, a little bit of weather as background for the story that's going to take place, and it just sets the tone. But um, when we are experiencing these strange heat waves all the time. Like, are you going to um, uh, create a nice fictional um, 80 degree summer for your characters, or are you going to make it like the world you see around you? I, I think like more and more, just describing the world is uh, is an act too of capturing the changes that we're going through. And yet, it's amazing how many authors don't do that. I mean, it really is interesting that when you come across a book like yours. You, you automatically go, oh yes, this is you know really embracing the the climate crisis and, and you know putting us right in there. There are so many books that that still aren't doing that. Yeah, yeah and I, I think that um, you know I'd say that my first book didn't do it, and I, I think that um, I was motivated in part too by uh, people like Amitav Ghosh writing about. Um, uh, the absolute necessity of writing about climate change and thinking really critically about the ways in which um, we create worlds in our texts. Are we making them artificially stable so that human beings can have all the attention? Or are we capturing you know, the deep interrelations and destabilizations that exist between people and their environments? Um, so I think a more active environment is what we see around us. And a more active environment is, is um, sort of the direction we want to be leaning in to understand where we're at in this world. Okay, so another question from the audience. How does your process differ for writing a short story collection versus writing a novel? In fact, does your process differ? Yeah, yeah. It differs so much. I mean, um, you know, I sometimes feel like it's like training for a marathon versus training to be a, you know, a sprinter. You're really doing different things each day you're in a different mindset. Like I think that it helps to be in a bit of a resigned existential mindset when you're writing a novel because you know you're not going to get to a mile marker 
that day probably, or the next day. You don't know when you're going to see a mile marker, but you just have to keep going forward. And then sometimes backwards. And then sometimes you remove a piece of the road, and you put another, <laughs> you lay more road, um, and you never really know if you're getting where you need to go as fast as you'd like to be getting there. But um, you have a lot of sort of faith and suspended hopes. And um, uh, writing a short story, on the other hand, um, you can do a short story in one day if you're having one of those crazy manic days and it feels extremely exciting. Um, you can see the end point and you can pour everything into it. But I do think when you're writing a novel, you have to leave a bit um, of energy for yourself to, to cook, eat, <laughs> sleep, and um, do other normal things that allow you to write the novel the next day. <laughs> So I have a question about two of the characters uh, in the book that we didn't talk about. They're, I guess, minor characters, but they have their star turn, and that's uh, Horseshoe and the Arm. And they're um, two characters who work with Patrick as, I guess, a production assistant on this film. And they're, they're kind of comic relief to some extent, but they're also, there's also serious things going on with them. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's a question about them? How do they yes. happen? Yes. Yeah. Um, well, in the DNA of this book, you know, is my favorite play ever, Hamlet. Uh, it's probably a lot of people's favorite plays, but um, I love the humor and the sort of sense that um, action is is going wrong and being redirected around other channels. And um, then I also love Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. So I, I think like um, I'm really fascinated by side characters who see everything that's going on and maybe have insight into it. Like, I really loved writing their conversations. They have these philosophical arguments. They're kind to one another at the same time. Um, and they uh, shed light on some of the things that are happening in the book, but they don't shed light in any useful way. And that is, is the comedy for me, um, that, that you can know so much about what's going on, but it doesn't mean you've uh, been able to influence it or been able to, you know, um, exert your agency. Uh, but, um, you know, they're semi-stoner dudes. They're always in the car just talking about whatever and philosophizing about the meaning of traffic and um, uh, what it, uh, you know, says about us as a culture and our, our needs and wants and desires. And um, I found it just really fun to step out of plot and go into that little space for a while and hang out with them. So are characters like that there from the beginning? Or is that something that you come to a little later? Like, I feel like I need a little more texture. I need another angle here. Like, where do they fit in in, in, in the writing process? Um, I really wrote this book in order from point A to point B. And I didn't know where I was going to go in chapter two, but I knew what would happen in chapter one. And Horseshoe and the Arm were a big part of that. Um, the way that they uh, um, sort of deliver the most important pieces of information to Patrick, like, hey, sorry, you're not actually any kind of an authority on this film. You're one of us. You're a production assistant, but we welcome you. <laughs> That sort of attitude. Um, and the way in which um, their sort of conversation and their patter is ongoing was something that um, helped remind me, you know, what sort of notes I need to hit and 
what, how my themes sort of are um, evolving over the course of the book. Um, and, and they're just sort of fun for me <laughs> to write. So um, I, I really began to feel something for them. And um, in the last chapter, sort of, when we get a glimpse of them, that was really important to me to sort of wrap up their story, even if it's in that sort of open-ended way. It was very poignant, I thought, how you did that. I, I liked that, the arc. The other thing was, it was such a, a shining a light on what production assistants do or don't do. It definitely seems, I mean, I don't know if this is based in reality, but they seem just gophers, essentially. You know, at one point, the, the two characters we're talking about are brought in to be waiters at the producer's cocktail party. Yeah. I was like, oh, that just sounds, that completely strips away any kind of glamour you might think exists yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah, one of these um, paying your dues jobs, one of these very amorphous jobs that can shift from, from one thing that's known to another thing you never thought you'd be doing in your whole life. <laughs> kind of like an internship, maybe, in some ways. Well, lots of questions about the writing process. So somebody asks, in the latter draft, uh, draft of this novel, um, as the story began to really take shape, what kind of revision approaches or strategies did you find the most helpful or productive? Um, you know, for process questions, you know, I think the most important thing to say about the process of this book for me was that it was completely the opposite of the process of the previous book. Um, in my previous book, I really felt like I was playing this novel like a video game. I was seeing um, at each step what my options were and then trying to take the strangest turn I could. With this one, um, there was so much I wanted to get done. I knew where I wanted to go and I knew um, I had to be organized to get there. So I went the complete other direction and I made um, an outline of 10 sections with three parts per section. And I decided each of those parts would be nine pages long. Um, and I wrote down um, what would happen in each of those sections so I could make sure I was hitting my goals for plot and advancing it and getting eventually to the point that I had in mind. So um, that's just one caveat. I think that um, your process for one project might be 100% different from your process for another. Um, uh, and then in revision, you know, um, I was lucky enough to work with a really great editor who I think um, uh, sort of, with her attention, guided me toward the parts that um, she was most interested in and that I think really enhanced like the relationship between um, uh, Patrick and his wife and Cassidy and Patrick. Um, and so I feel like a lot of that is almost like going in with a chisel and making deeper things that you sense are there and um, really giving them you know, dimension, something you can touch. <laughs> Well, somebody else asked them, you know, how has the process evolved, which you explained there, but also what have you learned about yourself as a writer while writing this novel? Huh. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, one thing that terrifies me for some reason is the idea of being expected to write kind of the same book or, or do a thing that is on brand for me. and um, and. As a result, like with every book, I set myself some challenges that seem possibly impossible <laughs> to do. Um, one mini challenge for this book, I wanted to see, can I capture the 
feeling of drinking water or the taste of drinking water because it's such a elusive and squirmy thing. Um, and but another was um, to really create a character, Cassie, who I felt I was peeling layers off of, um, someone who surprised me as the story went along and um, who seemed to reveal herself to me um, as well as to the characters in the story. Um, and I've always been sort of a little uncomfortable with writing characters. I feel like I know myself, I know a few other people, but it seems like a big leap to think that I've three-dimensionally made another person. Um, so I was really happy that I felt I could sit back and eventually feel like I was almost watching another person. So um, I have a little bit more faith in myself in that way. <laughs> well, the last question I had was also the writing process, which I think you answered in your previous answer. I, I have a question which I think I know the answer to, even though I haven't directly answered it, is that I, I don't want to give it away, but the, the ending, I would say, is unusual in this book. And, you know, there's, and was that something that was in place all along? Is that something you knew you were building to, or was that something that organically happened as you wrote? Yeah, yeah. The ending um, was the last piece of the puzzle that fell into place. And as you know, I had a very extensive outline, so I always knew there was this chapter 10 coming. Um, but I actually turned in a couple drafts of the book without a chapter 10, and my email to my editor always said, but believe me, there is a chapter 10 coming. There's a last chapter. It's coming. I just have to write it. Um, and, uh, but it took me a long time to find the voice and the feel for it, because um, one of the things I was interested in is, you know, what if you had a book with a main character, and then that main character was sort of plucked out of the book? What would the form be like? Um, what would it feel like to be without that anchor? Um, and, and so. I ended up writing, at the last moment, this chapter that jumps through time and it starts way back in prehistory and then goes into the future. Um, and it was really, um, it, I mean, it felt like it almost wouldn't happen in time, <laughs> but um, it was a real experiment and it was sort of, in the end, um, what I wanted for the end, something that um, gives you glimpses of how everything turns out, but also feels sort of like it's floating up above and, and we're already moving on so fast from the story and into an unknown future. Well, I just have one last question, just as we were talking about how really any piece of art needs to incorporate the climate crisis because it's such a fundamental part of our reality right now but you know for books and writers and you know creators of art who are going to specifically and explicitly tackle the climate crisis it seems with reality catching up with you know this the future as you were saying you were writing this in the near future and then news kept you know pinching your ideas and it was the reality i mean it seems ultimately you know are we going to be left with the mad max type of thing where we're having water wars or you know where might this go do you have a sense you know not necessarily art that just has climate as part of everyone's reality but writing specifically about climate because it does seem okay it's it's mad max or it's everyone's in denial like yeah. where's where's the the middle ground yeah you know um I think that there, 
you know, I was raised on so much dystopian fiction. I remember one of the first books I I bought was Death of Grass by John Christopher, which is a um, 1960s British novel about um, a virus that destroys all grasses, which means also rice and grains and all of these um, things that we need to survive. And it's a very grim, <laughs> as you can imagine, story. And I read um, just a slew of other very grim dystopian futures like that. And I even taught a class that made people very depressed. It was a good class, but it was a bummer um, called Apocalypses Now. <laughs> um, so I think we have a very clear idea of what the dystopian version of the future looks like. Um, but I think there's a lot of room left to imagine ways in which we could react differently to this crisis. You know, um, uh, I, I think we've seen, even in smaller crises, that people don't react by going Mad Max. They actually react by taking care of each other to an extent, and that disaster can also bring people together. So I think a really great book um, that came out recently is by Allegra Hyde, Eleutheria, and it is also set in the sort of climate change future, near future, but um, people are trying to build a community that is is more more just and still has problems. Um, it's a, a, a character-driven story that takes place in a world that is significantly impacted by climate change, but I think you know, even in that future, we will still have character, we'll still care for one another, and there'll be ways in which we can make ourselves more resilient rather than, you know, um, what, what is in Mad Max driving really fast in a car and you're covered with tattoos and everyone's pale and really hot at the same time. Pale and some burnt and hot, yes. <laughs> that, that's dystopia? <laughs> that's one dystopia. For some, it could be a utopia. <laughs> so so the, the book's about, to some extent, the movie world. Is, is there any idea of, if anybody want to option this? Is there, you know, because it's very visual. You know, even the passage you read here tonight, you know, it's, it's great visuals. You can imagine that on the screen. Thank you. That's very kind. I'm, um, I am adapting it now, and um, it's been really interesting because um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm tweaking some things too in a way that's been pretty fun for me. Um, uh, in my adaptation, for example, um, uh, there's a sort of disease, the disease that's sweeping people is making them all believe that they're on vacation, um, though they're not. <laughs> On vacation, um, so it's it's changing a little, which is making it more comfortable because I think that there's so much about the book that you can't put in a screenplay because they don't want you to write long descriptive passages and you can't see inside people's heads, which is a lot of what I do. But um, yeah, uh, it's interesting and it's fun, and um, I've always liked you know, movies about Hollywood, uh, that sort of self-referential thing, maybe more than books about books. I'm not sure. <laughs> Are you gonna move to Hollywood and be, get your PA like Patrick in your book? <laughs> no, no, I, I wanna be, <laughs> um, I, but, um, you know, I don't have a lot of experience in Hollywood, um, but I have friends who've been PAs. My most potent experience was spending one day on the set because um, 
my first editor's brother was making a movie about their lives, um, fiction based on their lives, and so they had people that he had actually edited in his office talking to him. I was only in there for maybe five seconds of film, but I was on set for 14 hours, sort of just wondering what to do with myself and feeling very lost and very bored. And I think that that's what happens in the book. A lot of standing around and then suddenly snapping into action. Hurry up and wait. Well, we look forward to a movie in the future. And uh, your next project, you, you said you are working on, on something right now about islands. Yes. Is there any uh, ETA on that? or? What part of the process are you in? Um, I'm um, outlining. <laughs> um, and uh, it's not quite working right. <laughs> so I think I have to have a whole new process for this, too. Um, but um, you know, one of the things I'm really excited about is um, uh, I often have a little bit of a science fiction or, or a little bit of a speculative element in, in books. And this one, I'm really going to lean into having a section that takes place on the space colony. Everything is in space. It is not the present in any way. Um, and you don't have to uh, wonder about that. Um, so a, a taste or a slice of hard sci-fi. Look forward to that. Well, Alexandra Kleeman has been our guest at After Hours at the Radio Book Club, a podcast collaboration between KGNU and the Boulder Bookstore. Her latest novel, Something New Under the Sun. Thank you so much, Alexandra. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. And thank you to everybody who has joined us here live at the bookstore. Yeah.